Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. What's up, everybody? It's IBS Yeezus coming at you guys with another backdoor cover. I got my host, who I'm bringing in the intro this week. We switched it up a little bit. But I got my host, Keith Fleming. Mr. Keith Fleming (laughs) on the ones and twos. This man is on fire in golf. If you don't listen to this podcast for anything else, you should listen for the golf. These golf picks win so much money. I don't understand. And, Keith, I had a rant that I was going to use uh, from Ric Flair, but I didn't want to ruin the, the Legends um, promo. But, seriously, last week, if anybody is in the um, the golf uh, group, Keith posted our, our uh, podcast last week. And I know the guy didn't mean a lot about it. If Scott was here, he'd probably be more upset about it. But the guy comes on, he's like, what gives you the the right to tell people uh, what the bet are? And so everybody knows I'm I'm a humble brag when it comes to to my winnings in golf and in gambling in general. But God damn it, excuse my French, last year you couldn't tell me anything in golf. This year I'm a little humble. Last year I was Tiger Woods in his prime. So I gave the man what he wanted, a laundry list from January all the way through the PGA Championship of win after win after win after win after win. And then he was like, oh, maybe I'll listen. And then my man Keith dropped some gems on him from last week. So, Keith, it's your show, man. Lead us to the promised land. It's it's our show. Uh, And honestly, man, (laughs) from doing this podcast and having you – uh, when me and Scott had the Strictly Golfing podcast, uh, you know, I've always grown up listening and loving uh, golf, but, you know, I've just really gotten into gambling it in the last year, and, you know, you kind of showed me the the keys, to, I guess, giving me the keys to the kingdom, and uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because uh, I know that that's gambling, and you're going to have your highs and your lows, but when you hit a 33-1 to 1 and a 14-1 to 1 in the same week, that's uh that's a good week. So uh, we're going to this week uh, obviously talk about golf again at the end of the uh, episode, the WGC in Mexico. But with kind of a slow week, you know, coming out of the uh, all-star break, I figured we'd discuss the NBA futures, both the conference title odds, uh, the NBA championship odds overall. And then also, uh, interestingly enough, I was going to talk about the MVP second place odds because I think everybody pretty much knows Giannis probably has this thing uh, racked up again. Uh, And then we're going to get into the NBA championship futures, which is really I'm going to just shut up and let you do the talking because I'm honestly curious. It seems as wide open as I can remember it. The odds are showing that as well. Uh, And love the intro, man. Uh, Love the soundboard. Uh, Love just doing more creative things on this uh, podcast. So, uh, kudos to you, and uh, let's have a very successful week, and let's get started uh, in the Western get Conference ready. Finals. I was get <laughs> I ready. love it. I uh, so who is that? Oh, I don't know the, who is that? Who is that? Uh, that was uh, that was Ric Flair. I actually, actually that's Flair too. 
Yeah, every everything well, I'm today upset that I didn't realize that was him. It's all Ric Flair. My man, Ric Flair. I, I was going to say, you were, you were very nice about all the things that we've done over the last couple shows. I mean, shoot, dating back to the NFL playoffs. Um, I mean, at this point, we're giving out enough winners. I think we need to be a little bit more cocky about it. And just Get ready. Say, let's go. Let's start. Tell Rick let's do this. In the uh, <laughs> Western Conference Finals, there's basically – Six teams that I wanted to talk about their odds and kind of get what you were thinking. Right now, the Lakers are still the favorites at plus 182. The Clippers are right behind them, despite being the four seed right now at plus 200. The Rockets, who are kind of, I guess, surging. They've went six and four in their last ten, playing small ball at plus 574. Utah is at plus 924, and Denver is at plus 1030. Is there any reason – let's start with this way. Is there any reason for you to be taking anybody other than the Lakers and Clippers right now? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidetrack just real briefly and, and promote our yeah, uh, NBA-centric podcast. Uh, we are doing the NBA podcast starting um, tomorrow at 8.30. That time might switch to 9 o'clock once my son, my son comes back from his grandparents. Uh, based on his bedtime, but we will be doing NBA only. Um, it won't necessarily cover a whole lot of gambling. Um, it'll be more about the the X's and O's and and um, some of the top news in the NBA. But again, we will have an NBA centric show uh, starting on Thursday. So if you guys are just focused on NBA, definitely check it out. I'll host that. Um, Corey Carlton will um, also be on there as a co-host and and probably our main contributor. So um, you don't want to miss that. Uh, we will definitely get heated like we used to get heated on the nightly threads between me, him, Malone, and Maurice. So there will be it will be action-packed, I guarantee it. Um, so when we're talking NBA and gambling. I don't think there's any reason to, to think that long shots truly have a chance, especially out west. So between the Lakers and the Clippers, I really don't see how the title doesn't go through L.A. at some point. I will say I'm a little disappointed by the lack of movement uh, by the Lakers around the trade deadline and stuff. I really thought they would be more um, buyers. Uh, But, I I mean, I guess they're happy with what they have. I mean, with LeBron and AD, honestly, they do have enough to win it. But my money, um, and I said this earlier in the year, um, is backing the Clippers. I think the Clippers made enough moves um, to add more depth to a team that was already uh, fairly deep. Uh, They play defense. Uh, It is not just here and there. Like, they've had some hiccups over the course of the last couple weeks. But I'm talking when the playoffs come for sure, Pat Bev, if he's healthy, Kawhi, uh, playoff PG ain't necessarily the best on offense, but he'll play defense. Harold play defense. Um, Morris will contribute. Um, Re- they picked up uh, Jackson from uh, was it Reggie Jackson from the uh, Pistons, mm-hmm. who can contribute. And we already know about Lou Will what he can do. Um, I-, I think that when they match up against a team like the Lakers. Yeah, AD's going to get his. LeBron may or may not get his, depending on how Kawhi guards him. But ultimately, the depth of that Clippers team is just too much for the Lakers. Like, they can run uh, a eight- to nine-man rotation on that team and, and just smack the Lakers, honestly, because the Lakers are still just a two-man game. Like, who comes off the bench for them and really balls? Kuzma's super inconsistent. 
Uh, Dwight's getting minutes, but JaVale McGee is, is, I mean, is he really the rim protector that he's supposed to be? And does that even matter against a team like the Clippers who can score in so many different ways and, and have now added somebody like Morris that can stretch the floor? I think at 2-1, to one, you're still getting great value for them, um, but the Lakers are, are a decent hedge on that because, once again, I, I don't see how the Rockets can, can do anything. The Rockets are trash. I'll just put it out there. They're not good. The Jazz. They're they're not ready to beat either of the LA teams and the Nuggets away from Denver. You ain't got to worry about them either. So it has to go through LA. I'm put more into the Clippers than the Lakers, but those are my two picks. Um, I I agree with you on the outside of LA picks. The only one that to me there could be you know some interesting uh, with is just. The Jazz, uh, you know, for the first time uh, since they made the deal, Conley is starting to look a little bit more like Mike Conley that I think they thought they were getting and not the washed-up guy that showed up for the first few months. And that is an interesting team uh, that I feel like that they have some really good scores. They made some really good off-season, uh, you know, additions. And then, you know, um, Mitchell is a beast. Uh, he's getting better each season, but I'm with you that I think when it comes down to it, uh, it's it's going to be either the Lakers or the Clippers. I'm on the Lakers side. I just we're getting too far into the season for me personally to think the Clippers can just flip a switch on. And this is not a team that's won titles before. Yes, Kawhi is without a doubt the most clutch player in basketball right now. The you know Kobe mentality, whatever you want to call it, the All Star game the other night. When he had the ball, you just you felt like he was going to make it. And he was honestly the only guy on the floor when that game got tight late that you kind of got the feeling when the ball was in his hand, he was going to score. And that's going to be difficult, and I completely agree with you that they are by far the best uh, defensive team, uh, you know, top to bottom. But the Lakers are also a really good defensive team, and I think their size is going to cause issues. Now, I will say the Lakers have got to win one of these in, uh, regular season matchups against them because I also think that with each of the wins the Clippers get over the Lakers head-to-head, that's going to play a role if they eventually meet, which most of us think they will. Surprisingly, right now, if the seedings play out, they're going to actually meet in the uh, second round, which would be a real bummer for every. No, I'm sorry. Actually, the Clippers have moved into third by half a game. I apologize about that. Utah is fourth. But I just think that, you know, in the, in the past seasons, with the exception of last season, and I really do believe if the Warriors wouldn't have had all the injuries, they would have won the titles. It's been the teams with, you know, the, the best big three or four, even with the Warriors' case, for the last couple of seasons. There is no big three, so I'm looking at the best big two. And if you're telling me I'm getting a healthy LeBron, a healthy AD, uh, I think LeBron is going to play – extremely angry and motivated uh, this postseason, which is the best LeBron. Uh, I know that, you know, it's easy to forget because he's been off for a year, but I mean, he got trounced, and and it is what it is, those last two finals against the Warriors, but I mean, they were such mismatches, and just the numbers and performances that he's put up in the last four finals he's played in, uh, he really doesn't get the credit that he should as also being a very clutch guy because it's not just making a jumper, you know, in the last minute of the game as clutch in a big game, you know, consistently throwing up triple doubles and getting other players involved and, 
uh, you know, quite frankly, making games and series that shouldn't even be close uh, against far superior opponents is also clutch, in my opinion. I just, for me, I like the Lakers. I think you give me a healthy LeBron and AD, they're the most talented. I think they're going to make some kind of move before it's over. And the one thing I heard you mention is, you know, they didn't really do anything. They are kind of hand-strapped because they've traded away so much for AD. Uh, you know, they tried to get Collison. He's decided he's not going to come back. They lost some more sweepstakes to the Clippers. And, again, that gets to they didn't have as much. I do see them, though. There's going to be some buyout guys out there. I don't know if it's Tristan Thompson or whoever it may be. Derek Rose, I hope to God. But there is going to be some buyouts out there. And I think they're going to definitely be the number one seed in the West, which means they're going to have home court. I know that's going to be weird if it's a Lakers-Clippers series, but it is going to mean something. And you can't, you know, just gloss over the fact that they're going to be doing it, you know, for Kobe this year. And there's going to be a lot of good juju, mojo, whatever you want to call it, on the Lakers side because of that. So I really like the Lakers, but I'm not going to hate on anybody to take the Clippers when you get Kawhi Leonard and honestly probably the deepest team in the NBA. Yeah. So you got anything else you want to say on that? the Kobe angle – the Kobe angle works for the Clippers as well. Um, Kawhi, again, big Kobe guy. Kobe helped him a lot. Doc Rivers is of Laker heritage. Um, so, I mean, it, it it means a lot to the city in general. Um, so even if there was a push uh, that boosted the actual Lakers for Kobe, you got to think Jerry West is basically running the, the personnel for uh, the Clippers as well. He wants to win it for Kobe. Uh, I think that's a push uh, for both teams. I think it means enough to the city and, quite frankly, both organizations to really win one and bring a title back to L.A. uh, for the memory of Kobe. Now, it might seem, like I said, a little weird to some people that that they would think that, you know, that doesn't mean anything to the Clippers. But, again, Kawhi was a big Kobe guy. um, And Doc and Jerry West, like, it means a lot to those guys. They want to honor Kobe's memory as well. So um, the only thing I would like to add is that um, I failed to mention that Kawhi was 15-1 to to win the uh, MVP during the All-Star, and your boy picked him as a long shot. So um, don't don't get it twisted. And my angle on that was the Kobe factor, that Kawhi, Westbrook uh, would would go out and try to do their best to to get an award named after somebody that, that really inspired them. Uh, to play how they play, and then obviously AD and LeBron being from LA and being Lakers. Um, so again, I think it'll be a wash um, from that angle. But ultimately, I think the Clippers have the better coach and they got the deeper team. And I, I do see LeBron having a good playoff this year because his his minutes leading up to this have been um, regulated pretty good. He doesn't have as nearly as much mileage. Uh, in years past as he does, um, as he has going into this season, uh, postseason-wise. I'm a little worried about AD holding up, and I've said this numerous times. I call him frail body as a joke. But if AD goes down, LeBron definitely can't win this thing by himself. So um, you also have to worry about PG. Uh, He he hasn't been necessarily that healthy either. And um, I was listening to the Ringer podcast today uh, for um, the NBA, and they made a valid point that the Clippers as as a group, their core hasn't had a lot of minutes together. So you kind of worry a little bit about chemistry, especially when the game gets really tight in playoff moments. But 
the minutes that they have played together have been very high quality. And if anybody could get this team uh, together in a, in a short time, it would be Doc Rivers. And you can't undervalue um, somebody like Lou Williams who can come in and, and really be a catalyst uh, for for a team um, offensively, and and who's going to counter that out of out of L.A. from the Lakers side? There is no counter to that. So um, if we put it on paper and we match them all up together, I think you would see that, or anybody would really see that the advantage is still to the Clippers. And we can't count out the fact that Kawhi Leonard is probably the best player in the West. I mean, I'll just put it out there. I mean, LeBron's definitely playing great and out of his mind, but head-to-head, Kawhi still got these wins, man, <laughs> you know? Like, he's, he's done no, good. I, I agree. Yeah, so he's not the, the, the prettiest superstar, but, um, again, for the sake of gambling-wise, I feel a whole lot better uh, with the with the risk-reward of the Clippers than I do with the Lakers. And hedging with the Lakers in this situation would be perfect because, again, it's going to go through L.A. one way or another. All right. The only other thing I just want to say, and then we'll move on to the Eastern Conference, is just do you ever remember a team winning, I mean, honestly, the title, conference, whatever you want to say, without having – that really hot stretch as a team at some point throughout the season? Because I was trying to think the Raptors definitely had it last year. I know the Warriors had, you know, numerous periods. I'm pretty sure the Cavs, even though the year they won it, I want to say they were the two seed in the East. They still, I know, had a a couple of stretches where they won. And, I mean, because of the way they've been, you know, and I know this is all by plan or by design, they just, they you know, they seem to be going about six and four, seven and three, uh, you know, at the most and haven't really put together any big strings. And I just, I do wonder if, I mean, they're basically banking on being able to just turn it on. And when it's a team like what you just said that has not played, uh, forget, you know, a lot together this season ever. You know I mean? These guys are, it's a lot of people that are, uh, you know, this team moved around a lot of bits and pieces coming into the season. I just am really curious to see, and if they can, Again, that's going to go all the kudos to Rivers. That's going to make Kawhi's legend. I mean, God Almighty, if he wins a third title for a third team and, you know, a five-, six-year stretch in this era, uh, you're going to have to start, you know, rewriting some of the rankings and stuff. So uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, if you look at the odds, it is also uh, sort of a runaway. The Bucks are at minus 136. The 76ers, I had to look at this twice, are plus 490. The Celtics are plus 617. The Heat are plus 823. The Raptors, who are the two seed coming off a great stretch of basketball, are plus 929. And the Pacers, who I just added on there because they got Oladipo coming back, they're just trying to get their legs. They're at plus 2039. I'm, I'm going to start this off, and I know this is probably going to sound crazy because I just got done saying that I think Giannis is without a doubt the MVP. He's with a doubt in my opinion, the best basketball player to where obviously if you're starting a franchise, even if it's for a two, three-year stretch, give me that guy. Let's go. He's only going to continue to add pieces to his game. But I thought it was really noteworthy in the All-Star game and kind of a reminder to me that this Eastern Conference is not as slam dunk as everybody thinks it is, that that was the game that the entire fourth quarter was you know, men's basketball, playoffs basketball, where there was no easy buckets. You were having to fight for everything. You had to create your own shot. 
he still really can't do that. I mean, he was phenomenal in the open, flowing game, and he had moments where he dominated in the paint. But when it came down to just you got to have a bucket, and I don't think they're that much better than everybody in the East in a playoff series to not have games that they're going to need a win coming down the stretch, getting some really viable buckets late. And I just was looking for, you know, a little bit more for him down that stretch. And that's why I'm a little surprised, even with their record and how great they've been, that they're so one-sided. Let me start it this way. Do you think the Bucks are just a slam dunk? They're going to the finals. Um, yes and no. Um, <laughs> I guess. I guess exactly the reason why I would mean. say yes is because they on on any given night they're going to have the best player on the floor in the uh, East, and uh, the reason why I say no is because well I mean their coach isn't really known for for coaching through big moments, and and um, last year they did run into that same problem that you were talking about when they needed buckets when the game got tight. And fouls were not getting called like they normally get called, and and people were allowed to play more physical. Um, they had a lot of like lulls, and um, I don't know if if that's going to be enough to get by the Seventy Sixers or Celtics in this series. Um, I can't decide which one I think is is more of a threat, but I would go out on a limb and say. That given Philly's success at home, I don't think anybody wants them to have home court advantage. Um, and I think Philly has the team to match up against uh, a team like um, the Bucks because Giannis can play a lot of positions. He covers a lot of range. He's he's, he's just a great, amazing athlete and naturally gifted talent. But I could say I, I would go out on the limb and say that you can negate some of that with with a talent like Embiid, not necessarily matching up Giannis on Embiid, but just the ability to create mismatches against the other team and exploit um, the defensive looks that people are giving them. I think Embiid can do that just like Giannis can. Um, it's probably a push for who has the better range because, I mean, Giannis has developed somewhat of a respectable three-point shot, but, I mean, Embiid can do the same thing if you leave him wide open as well. Um, obviously Giannis is the more gifted athlete, but for what they do for their teams respect, respectively, um, I think that they would negate each other out. So then it becomes a, a question of where do we go to next? Philly has people they could go to next. They could go to Tobias. They could go to Simmons, who can play within his realm. Um, is Middleton really the guy that we want to go to next? No. You know? Um, no. And, and and it worries me because, again, if anybody is shooting and, and hitting consistent three-point shots against the Bucks, they're probably going to beat the Bucks because the Bucks are still not that great of a three-point shooting team in my mind. Um, so that worries me a little. I think in order for um, – Milwaukee to win, they they probably would have to play a slower pace in my mind and and play a more defensive minded game and and I don't think they can, um, so they're not a lot to answer your question. No, they're not a lot. Well, I mean the the thing that I would say about Philly and I I completely agree with you. They're incredible uh, at home. They're twenty five and two, but I'm sorry they are. That's terrible. Terrible. Oh, yeah. 
at home or on the <laughs> road, man. They are nine and nineteen. Like, come on. Like, I just cannot take a team seriously that is nine and nineteen on the road. Now, if they fire their sorry ass trash coach that you you have brought up many times before, then I would believe in them a little bit more. But I just can't right now. Uh, the teams that, in my opinion, you should be the most fear or, or probably are the best value are Toronto and Boston. Uh, Toronto, I, 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 don't, I can't remember ever being more surprised by a team that lost Kawhi Leonard uh, and has just been, I won't say as good, but, you know, the sum of the parts has equaled out to basically the same record at this time last year. I actually think they're a hair ahead of that. And they haven't had all of their pieces together at one time. I love that they have a lot of guys that are veterans. They know their roles. And they've been very consistent at home and away, which I love to see that in teams. They're 21-7 and seven at home. They're 19-8 and eight on the road. And, you know, the, the stat that you normally need to look at is the, the differential, and they're plus 6.3. That's the fourth highest in the NBA, only Milwaukee, Boston, and the Lakers. Uh, have a higher than them, and and the odds are just I don't understand it. I mean they're on pace to right now be a two seed. They have a pretty good lock on that. They'd have to have a terrible home stretch, and you got the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Heat all with higher odds. The Celtics I understand that because just how incredible Tatum has been. Uh, I can't make fun of Bill Simmons anymore for you know Tatum being his basically his, his third child. Uh, but between Tatum and Hayward, is starting to really look like the guy that he was before the injury. I love, you know, all the wing players that they have, which that is something that gives you a lot of versatility in playoff matches. You can go big. You can go small. Uh, they're a very hot team right now, so I understand that one. But outside of that, to me, you'd have to go with the Raptors or the Celtics. And then the only other team that I would mention is the Heat, uh, you know, they just added Crowder and Iguodala. We can, uh, you know, I don't know how much Iguodala has left in the tank. I'm going to give him some time to play into shape, uh, and then we will see. But the Heat also have an interesting roster. They also have uh, a lot of guys that can play, and they're going to be a very good defense, like a very good defensive team, uh, you know, in, in the playoffs. And in a seven-game series, you're not going to play. And we know that they are very good at home. Uh, you know, they historically are year in and year out. So I, I think the East is a lot more wide open than people think. And I did, I couldn't find the field versus the Bucks, but I'm almost to the point where I still think Giannis with the roster that he has right now is another year away unless he literally goes to the level that LeBron did in what was it, 07 against the Pistons, where he's going to have to just beat a team basically by himself to go to the finals and then unfortunately probably get beat pretty badly because to me it's Cleveland all over again. They're not doing a good enough job putting guys around them. They let a guy like Brogdon leave who has looked amazing. You know, they kept Middleton. I think Brogdon was a better fit with, uh, you know, Giannis than than, uh, the guy that they – I just – I don't know. I just – to me, I would almost like – because I'm sure you're probably getting, uh, you know, plus odds taking the field in the East, and I I would probably take them right now. Yeah, I would take the field if if I had to – if you gave me Giannis or – so 
I guess the question is, how healthy are the Heat? Because I think Spoh's one of the more underrated coaches, and, and I know I personally underrated him a long time ago. But at nine to one, man, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at one, two, three teams in front of them: the Bucks, the Seventy Sixers, and the Celtics, who you could argue don't necessarily have closers to games. Um, Jimmy can be a closer. Um, we've already seen that before, and they've got they've got the coaching and the the energy. If they could get healthy, I think they could be a real uh, player. Oh, I said nine to one, uh, eight to one. Um, shoot, with the Raptors, as much as I keep disrespecting that team, saying I don't understand why they acknowledge them, that was Kawhi's championship. They've been playing really good ball. Um, and I would dare say. If we looked at the records of those top five teams, the Raptors probably have the better road record. Um, I'd be curious to look at that deeper. All right, so they're nineteen Only and Milwaukee eight on the road. Milwaukee has a better one. Milwaukee's yeah, okay, Milwaukee's yeah. twenty-one and five. Toronto's okay. second best at nineteen and eight. And I mean that's okay. uh, again other than the Lakers who are twenty-three and five on the road, which is another thing I meant to mention when I was saying well I like the Lakers so much. They're a very good road team as well. Uh, I mean, the rest of the road records in the East are not impressive. You got Boston fifteen and eleven, Miami thirteen and sixteen, Philadelphia nine and nineteen. Yeah, and and um, I'm gonna butcher his name. Uh, Sikum, 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 Sikum. Siakam. <laughs> uh, Siakam. There you go. I'm, I'm working on it, people. The African dude. His um. <laughs> His ability on the court creates mismatches left and right as well. Um, I, I don't think he's better than Giannis, but matchup-wise, again, I I think that he could pose a problem that other teams wouldn't necessarily pose. He's he's very long um, and, and, and rangy with his defense as well. And then you have another team in the Raptors that they play really good ball, and, and it's a deeper rotation than what most teams play. And, and, again, they've got a guy like uh, Van Fleet that can come off the bench and put up points. And I I still think that's one of the more underrated things about the postseason when we're talking about teams uh, making runs is who can you get to sustain a run or, or spark your team. And guys like Van Fleet, they find a way, man. Like, I mean, last year, last year in their playoffs, uh, when they won the championship, like, he was one of the key contributors uh, when they beat the Warriors uh, outside of Kawhi. But, like, he was, like, their second go-to option for scoring and just in general energy. And um, that's one thing I give credit to uh, the Raptors that I see. Um, I don't know if that was Kawhi or if, if that's just the team mentality uh, with their coach, but they give a lot of effort on defense. They have very active hands. And they play really well together uh, when they're locked in, and then from a defensive side, and they can put up points as well. So um, at nine to one, that's that's low key one of the better values, man. Because again, you nineteen to eight on the road, you can't really say that about anybody else. That's that's huge, man. That's huge. That's good info right there. Um, definitely for people who were considering looking for a long shot. I know I'd said earlier. When talking about NBA, you don't really want to get too far from the top, but that only applies to the Western Conference. That doesn't apply to these. Any of these four teams, if you're looking at the Sixers, the Celtics, the Raptors, and the uh, Heat, could potentially uh, – or sorry, 
in the Bucks could potentially um, make a run. And I would definitely look at the odds if you can find it of the field versus the Bucks because I mean if you're getting you know three to one odds you got to take that right. Yeah, you got to. All right. Uh, before we move on to one other thing with the NBA, the finals uh, or the championship, since we've you know spent a lot of time talking about these teams, is there any reason to outside of the Lakers? The Bucks, uh, excuse me, it's right here. The Lakers are at plus two eighty five. The Bucks are at three hundred. The Clippers are at plus three thirty. Uh, the only team I would again mention is I, I don't think the Celtics can do it, but them at plus eighteen hundred and the Raptors at, at plus twenty nine hundred are the two teams. If you want to say what the hell, maybe there'll be some injuries, maybe some things will happen. I, I, I like those two. I can't see any other teams. And I, I don't see the Bucks, so again, I, I would be taking the Lakers or the Clippers. I hope Giannis proves me wrong because that would mean he's arrived even more so than I thought with the supporting cast and everything. But again, I would take the Lakers at plus two eighty five. The Celtics and the Heat would, be, or excuse me, the Celtics and the Raptors at plus eighteen hundred and plus twenty nine fifty four are the only two teams I'd even consider just sprinkling a few dollars on for what the hell. Are you kind of on board with the same thing, or is there any other? Teams you would look at. Man, it's just it's just hard to bet against teams that that have superstars. Um, and we're talking about two man games uh, in today's NBA. Yeah, it's it's two man. It's a two man game now, uh, which is what we, I guess you could say we traditionally grew up on um, from the '90s era. Mostly it was two man game. wasn't big threes and things yep. like that, um, which. I mean, people complained about the big threes, and then we go back to this, and, and I think people are still complaining. But um, it would be hard to bet against the people uh, Lakers, Clippers, um, and pretty much just those two just because, I mean, if you think about it, who would you pick over Kawhi and PG or AD and LeBron in any of these teams, in any scenario, as long as those two – players are on the court for those two teams, I don't really think anybody stands a chance. And, and again, the Clippers are super dangerous because they bring added depth with a guy like Lou Williams who could get off for 30 points, man. Like, you, you got to watch him. He's definitely good for 20 a night. But, um, I mean, he could, he could really spark a team. And you throw that in coming off the bench behind um, Kawhi and PG and uh, Harold, it's really, really, really dangerous. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't put a lot of stock into long shots. I would, I would probably try to supplement the money that I would like to get from the long shot on taking them um, during their series to at rather than just wasting uh, a couple dollars on an outright win that you're never going to see. I like it. So one more NBA thing before we move on to the NCAA men's. Uh, You know, I think that Giannis has got the MVP, like, racked up. So one thing I did see is you can, at a lot of places, bet for second in the MVP. And I think this is a lot – you got a lot better chance of getting some decent odds on these. So you got LeBron – at plus 150, Luka at plus 180, Harden at plus 350, 
AD at plus 750, Kawhi at plus 2,000, Jokic at plus 4,000. If you're asking me the smart pick, just if you're saying just the smart pick would be LeBron at plus 150. If he continues to lead the league in assists and, you know, basically average a triple-double, it's a, you know, whatever it is, 17th year, 35-year-old dude, that's probably who's going to be second. But to me, the two guys that have the most value and are the most interesting are the last two on there. If Kawhi, say the Clippers do put together a run this last 26, 27 games, Kawhi, I'm assuming, is going to play a little bit more down the stretch just to get ready to play in seven-game series. I could see him then vaulting up there, especially if they move up in the Western Conference up to, say, the number two, or God forbid they even got the number one seed. And then Jokic has been just playing phenomenal going into the All-Star break. And, again, you would be relying on his team's, you know, how their success is going down the stretch. What do you think about that? Or actually, first, do you think Giannis has definitely got the MVP racked up? And then if so, uh, which of those guys do you like for second? Yeah, I I think the general uh, consensus right now is that Giannis is the the leader in MVP voting. Um, I don't like Joker because he's lazy. Um, I don't like Kawhi because he he ain't really trying to play back to backs or or consecutive games in general. Um, I don't like Harden because he's gonna shoot under thirty percent um, every like four or five nights. I kind of like AD more than LeBron for the simple fact that um, I don't know if people have been paying attention or not, but they defer to AD in a lot of clutch moments um, to to spark runs and things like that here down the stretch. Um, but LeBron, like Luca, is a stat sheet stuffer, and they're getting triple yep. doubles left and right. Luca Luca has been playing absolutely amazing from a statistical standpoint, um, but. I still say that, you know, if you lean on him a little, uh, he's a little soft. <laughs> but uh, that's not going to really matter when it comes to the um, MVP voting. I, would th- I think it's very stat-driven, and those two are your stat sheet stuffers. So um, as long as they both continue to get triple doubles, I would put my money um, on LeBron or Luka. Perfect. All right, so the next thing we're going to talk about is the NCAA championship futures. Uh, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I do not know enough to be making a uh, any kind of educated uh, advice here. So I'm going to basically just give you the first board and their odds, and then you go, man. You do you. So we got mm-hmm. the number one team right now, and these are, again, I'm sorry, on uh, the uh, my bookie site. You got the Jayhawks at plus 900, the Baylor Bears at plus 1,000, Gonzaga at plus 1,000, Louisville and Duke both at plus 1,200, Oregon at plus 2,000, San Diego State at plus 2,000, Michigan State at 2,000, you have Kentucky at plus 2,200, Dayton at plus 2,400, and we'll just go down to the plus 2,500, West Virginia plus 2,500, you if you tell me, because this would be literally for me, if I'm somebody who just wants to sprinkle a little bit of money on uh, some teams for a future bet, so I have a little added uh, investment in March Madness from the rip, who who do you like and why? Um, A team that I like uh, for a long shot play, Florida State. Um, I think I've seen them as high as 30 to 1 on, in some areas. Um, 
they're a really solid team um, who can play defense. They're usually rangy, athletic defenders. Um, they can grind out wins, or they can run with the best of them. Um, and I and I think they've got a lot of confidence. They've got uh, some fairly deep tournament runs over the last couple of years as well. So so uh, a lot of their upperclassmen have been part of those successful teams of the past, and and that's kind of what you're looking for. Um, in a in a long shot, um, I got Baylor at like twelve to one a while ago. Um, after I realized that uh, Memphis center was not coming back, that hurt my heart. Uh, <laughs> wisely, um, I know you were big on Memphis. That. Yes, I was heavily invested in Memphis prior to the season. I'm not gonna lie; I, I really thought that this was gonna be Penny's year. On, on some, like, sneaky stuff, but apparently NCAA had different ideas. Um, but I, I like I like Baylor for the simple fact that Baylor has not played down to many people. Um, if they continue to hold on to the number one seed, um, which they might even do even if they lose in their conference championship, depending on how that goes and where Kansas is. If they hold on to the overall number one seed, I don't really see anybody coming into that bracket that's going to beat them. I don't see them as a team that would even remotely get close to getting upset by one of these mid-majors. And they've already shown that they've got the pedigree to really uh, stick it to top-tier programs right now. This, This seems like a team of destiny. Uh, from start to finish, they've just been playing really good basketball. Um, a joy to watch, honestly, even in games where they're not necessarily hitting all their shots, just the energy that they play with and how they all buy into their coach's philosophy. And, and, and these guys all have chips on their shoulders because they're not blue-chip recruits, you know? So um, that has been their uh, their thing all year. Um, the reason why they play so hard every game um, and I think that's going to carry into the tournament, so I like their momentum. Um, and then if we really go down the list for, like, a true long shot, uh, I guess you could say somebody like um, LSU, who who has good pedigree, um, and, and these, these guys are well-coached, uh, Coach Wade, um, has them playing really good basketball. They've shown that they can play away from home. And then even the games that they've lost, like they just lost to Kentucky the other day, but it, they made it a game, and they never stopped playing. And that's the thing that makes them so dangerous. You can be up by five on this team with 15 seconds left, and somehow, way, they'll tie the game or, or lose by one. Like they never stop playing. And I, and I think that's great because – they're super talented, and um, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. Well, I know they got one guy in the backcourt that's, that's pretty good. I, I can't name his name off the top of my head, but from a gambling standpoint, um, I think they're a gambler's, like, paradise when you're talking about a long shot because they will be the team that will beat people on buzzer beaters and things like that because they're going to hustle. Uh, they'll be the team that would go into a game against, say, like a Baylor and and – on the off night that Baylor has might potentially squeak out a win because they've got the offensive ability and the athleticism to really give people fit. Um, and then coach Wade is from the uh, Shaka smart philosophy of defense. Uh, they run um, a pretty aggressive press and they try to force turnover. So if you don't have a, a very good backcourt, this is your worst nightmare. Um, and so 
I think when looking at tournaments like the NCAA tournament, the teams with the backcourts are really like it's, it's. I mean, that's college basketball in general. Uh, if Corey was here, he would tell you that, and we've talked about that uh, within the group as well. Like we're looking for teams with good backcourts, with good point guards, good shooting guards, people who can bring the ball up the court, who are smart with the ball. They don't turn it over a lot and who can grind out wins because that's what the tournament is all about. Generally speaking, the best athletes on the best team don't always get the result in the tournament because it's such a grind. And we've seen that in years past uh, with a couple of Kentucky teams, with the Duke team last year. Like, you can be beat if you run across a team that's really willing to grind with a, uh, a seasoned backcourt. So gambling advice would be to look at those schools um, if you don't want to take Baylor or if you don't want to take any of the long shots, like how do I set my bracket up? What am I looking for to be successful or to give myself a chance to win? You're looking for pedigree in programs uh, with coaching and then also with uh, veteran backcourts. So you don't want to put a lot of money into a young backcourt unless they're just exceptional athletes. So I don't think we've got any of that this year um, in the sense of like the Duke team, uh, from a couple years ago and things like that. I don't think we got anything close to that this year. So keep in mind, you want to focus on those backcourts. One more team I got to ask because my, one of my best friends is a huge Auburn fan. He is so upset that they're not getting any respect after going to the finals last year, their record this year. They have some quality wins. What do you think about them at uh, plus 3,000? Um. I like Bruce Pearl. I like Auburn, but they're skidding right now um, from a spread standpoint and just in general. They just haven't really put together complete games in the last, like, two or three weeks, and it's a little bothersome. But this is kind of the time of year where people kind of get tired anyway, and then they kind of recharge once the, the tournament starts. I think you'll get a better feel for what Auburn can do when the SEC tournament starts. I fully expect Auburn to be competing for an SEC championship. Um, if for some reason they have an early exit, I might raise a red flag. But um, if they at least get to the finals and um, in the SEC championship, I'd be willing to uh, take a flyer on their on their odds at 30-1 to 1 because, again, they returned a lot of guys this year too, and the expectations are high. And, and Brucey can coach, man. He can coach. He got he. And, when they lose, the I don't blame Bruce. Yeah, I was going to say, when they lose, I don't blame Bruce. I blame the kids. <laughs> I mean, that is Auburn. It's not a, you know, historic powerhouse. It's been really impressive to see what they've done. So the last thing we're going to discuss this week is the PGA Tour. Uh, we, we really have. We've been on a roll overall. I think that uh, between the two of us, we've, we've hit, uh, you know, Got a lot of winners in the last 14 months. We consistently give good top 10 and top 20 plays. Uh, this week is the fourth edition of the WGC in Mexico. For those that don't know, this used to be uh, the WGC at Trump's course Doral. Not getting political, but uh, he made some comments about Mexicans, and it, it may have just been coincidental, but then the PGA Tour literally the next year moved his event from there to Mexico, which I thought was uh, just, I don't know if that was a casual uh, dig or what it was, but uh, interestingly enough, this is a really unusual golf course. Uh, 
I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. Like, you can look it up. It's crazy. It's a very different course. It's actually very similar to Riviera. The big difference is, is that the altitude, I mean, it, they say it's 7,100 yards. I've been told it's more like 6,800, which would be literally one of the shortest uh, on tour. And this is not like a pebble, uh, which is like roughly 69, 7,000. Uh, this is one that you're going to see guys taking drivers, fairway wood, long irons for some of these guys trying to cut corners. Uh, you have four par fours that are 400 yards or right around that range, basically meaning these guys can drive it. If I remember last year, DJ drove it over the second green with a three wood, if that uh, tells you anything about it. And in the three events there, DJ has won in 2017 and 2019. Ironically, Phil Mickelson won in 2018. The reason that is ironic is that driving distance plays a big factor in this uh, tour, but it's actually more about the total driving, meaning that you both want to hit it far and straight, and we know Phil normally hits it all over the map, (laughs) but he was incredible the week that he won. Uh, I'm just going to go through these real quick, and then we can go into more detail. The favorites are the smart play. I mean, I'm not going to give you these as a win, but I just want to tell you why these guys are the favorites. DJ at most places is 7-1. to one. He's won here twice. He has three top tens and the four starts this season, so that's good. This is the reason he should be the betting venue. I'm going to go over his 12 scores at this golf course. 70, 66, 66, 68, 69, 66, 68, 69, 64, 67, 66, 66. That's his last 11 rounds averaging a 66.8 stroke average and his last 12 a 67. That is unreal. That is dominating a golf course. So if you're going to pick one of these top three guys, that's the guy you pick. The second guy you should probably be picking is Rory. He has five consecutive top five finishes. He finished second here last year. Uh, He would have won the tournament any of the previous two years at the score he was at, but DJ was just – you heard the numbers he shot last year. Uh, He also tied seventh here in 2007. He is a great pick in any tournament. I actually probably like him a little bit more at a top five uh, than the winning odds only because it's more likely he's going to top five and is he going to win, and you're not getting that much worse odds. Uh, then JT is the other big one. I think he is uh, like 9-1. to one. He's finished no worse than ninth in these three events, fifth, second, and ninth. His scoring average is 68 on the nose. The only reason there's some concern for me is he is a feast or famine guy on this course. If you look at the three years, he has a lot of like 64s, 66s, but he also has – I think two rounds over par, it's a 73 and a 74, and two rounds at 72. And this is a golf course, if you are not shooting 70 or better, you are losing serious ground each day that you do it. So that's the one of the three I would say be careful. He's coming off a bad form where really he just had a terrible ball striking round, round one. He hit five greens in reg. The fact that he was actually near the cut line, having done that in the first round, shows you how great JT is. Uh, but I just, out of those three guys, that's the one that I, I would nick. So uh, I'm going to start with some guys I like, or do you want to go first? Uh, you go ahead. All right. So this name's going to sound familiar. I'm going to start with our guy, uh, Adam Scott, that was one of the Show biggest ones the last week. 
showed us the money at 33 to 1. Don't be afraid to ride this train. I said it last week that when Scott wins, he in his career, he tends to win a few times in succession. He has technically won his last two starts. The last event last week was obviously a PGA start. The one before that was in late December in Australia. The last time he won a PGA Tour event in 2016, he won his next PGA start for back-to-back wins. That was also consecutive weeks. I think he was the last guy to do this on tour that won actually on consecutive weeks on the PGA Tour. Uh, He is 15th in strokes game putting. That is very bad news for the rest of the golfing world because this dude, Tita Green, is always one of the best golfers in the world. But if he is right now the 15th best putter on tour, like, you want to be placing bets on Scott. If you don't like him to win because you don't think he can do that, I love the top 10 play. I love the top 20 play. Uh, he just is a really good player right now to play when he's putting well, and I think that he definitely needs to be mentioned. Uh, John Rom. these next two guys are basically my two official picks for the tournament. I really like John Rom. He's at basically 10 to 1. And his last 17 worldwide events, which this is one of them, he has finished outside the top 17 once, once. And he is much like Adam Scott, a guy who is such a great ball striker. He hits it so far and so straight. But, again, what is terrifying is right now he is fifth on the tour putting inside of 10 feet, and he is sixth on tour from 10 to 15 feet out. If he continues to do that, He is somebody that, and I'm sorry, I meant to mention this on Adam Scott as well. You need to go ahead and see what Adam Scott's master's odds are, and I would go ahead and place a small future wager on him now because if he does end up winning again this week, obviously his master's odds are going to be shot, and it's not really a good value. I would imagine right now you could probably get 20, 30 to 1 on a guy like Adam Scott that's won there. He plays well there a lot. If he's putting that well, he is going to contend at Augusta. He will be there on Saturday and Sunday on that leaderboard. John Rahm is another guy that if he continues to putt like this where he's putting fifth on the tour inside 10 feet and six from 10 to 15 feet out, he's going to win a major this year. Like, you might as well just go ahead and do a future bet that he's going to win a major this year. You should be able to find that somewhere and take that one. I love John Rahm. The other guy that I, I love this week, and he's my co-pick, is Tommy Fleetwood at 25-1. to 1. Fleetwood has burned me so many times in the past. Last year I picked the right major winner in the first two events, took Tiger at Augusta, kept at the PGA, and then took Fleetwood at the U.S. Open. I said I would never pick him again. Uh, I'm going to pick him as a co-pick to win because I never said I'd pick him outright to win. He has had three trips to this place. It's a second, 18th, and a 22nd. This is a good venue for him because you need to drive it very straight. He does that. He's got plenty of length. He's had all the scores within the 270s, which is a good sign that shows that he definitely is consistently playing well there. He has, uh, like I said, a game that suits the course. And much like Scott at Riviera, this is a golf course that just suits him well. his PJ starts have not been great lately, but don't forget he is still playing both inside the U.S., outside of the U.S., and since his last U.S. start and his four appearances on the European Tour, he has a win, two seconds, and a tied 11th. You're getting him for 25-1. to 1. That's the best value you're probably going to get of anybody in the field unless you want to say still getting Adam Scott for 19-1, to 1. and again, he just won. It's difficult to win back-to-back. 
And then the last guy that I really like this week is Abraham Answer. This is just kind of a gut pick. He's basically 52 to 1. He's a top-ranked talent in Mexico by a mile. It's his third appearance here. Last year, he ended up finishing 39th, but his recent form is really good. He finished second in the PGA West, sixth in Saudi Arabia. You saw the, the basically just the passion he played for in the President's Cup, and that was an international event that wasn't even in his home country. This one will be answer. I, I just expect him – to play well this week. Again, this is a track that sets up well for him. Uh, I got some other uh, props and stuff, but who do you like this week, Alan, before we get into those? Um, I'm going to have to do a deeper dive. I just saw that the tea time is until 1230, so I'm definitely going to go yep. to bed tonight and just do it first thing in the morning. <laughs> but, um, I, I was listening to some stuff on, on my way to work, and um, – I like the angle of taking uh, Ortiz and answer in props, like top 20. Um, I like Ortiz. I got Ortiz in my top 20 he, prop. <laughs> uh, he's um he's actually not bad uh, when it comes to like bigger courses and, and scoring, and I think that I yep. think honestly that's the key. Uh, you talked about total driving, and then we need we need people to score. We don't we need birdies. Um, we need birdies. We need eagles. We need to take advantage of the altitude. Um, that would be key. Um, and I and I think um, the two Mexican um, golfers should be a play here. Answer. Um, and I'm looking at Scotty Scheffler, man. Um, just yep. just for a prop. It seems like a course that fits him. Uh, doesn't doesn't read like it's super difficult, especially if you're hitting it straight. Um, and, and he's been pretty consistent off the driver. Um, and he's got he's got the youth on his side to to not necessarily be the bomber that like a Bubba or somebody would be when they were younger, but to to compete. Um, another guy who who might give us some some points, and, and you can look at too in a prop. Um, because I've been doing um props based off of the uh, countries now. So my Asian prop will probably be uh, Soon J M, <laughs> which oh, seems yeah. kind of cliche, but, but he's, he's at 45 to one. I, I mean, he's, he's a very, very, they call him the Iron Man of, of, of the tour. He's and he does four he plays to one all the, the top 20. Yeah. That, that? That's but as much as really he's top 20, that's ridiculous. Yeah. As much as he's played and considering it's a 75 that. 75 man I, event. No yeah, cut. And it's no cut. Yeah, no <laughs> cut. So I mean that's that's just that's wild to me. That seems like a, a gross oversight. Um I've never yep. seen him that uh that high for a top twenty. I mean we're talking about a guy who's consistently top ten, top twenty, and he's at four to one Every in a no cut event. You know, like come on, man, that's I think that's disrespectful. Forty five to one, he wasn't even that high last week. <laughs> that's crazy. And of course last week was considered harder. So I don't know. Maybe it's something in the um maybe it's something in um in the course. I don't know. Gary Woodland's forty to one and, and he's been playing so good up until um they came back over from Asia, like that's kinda strange to me too. Um Bubba's won here before and he's forty five to one. But when we were at uh Rivera he was twenty to one. Again, uh, maybe. Well, you got to remember the bubble was at Burrell, so that was before they swapped the venue, which that was a much better venue. Bubba hasn't figured out the angles yet. This course, he's had oh. some success, but. Okay. 
Um, I'm not on the Tommy Fleetwood thing. Tommy Tommy has burnt Tommy Fleetwood and Bryson <laughs> are the same golfers to me. They've both burned me yep. in some of the worst ways. And the the only reason that I don't want to fight Bryson before Brooks is that I got the satisfaction of watching um Matt Wolf eagle out on him and beat him. <laughs> and that's the only reason why, in the 3M I think it was last year, is the only reason why I don't want to fight him because he has choked so much for me. It makes me so angry. Uh, Tommy just got to get consistent, man. I mean, he's a good golfer, and he's probably one of the most precise when it comes to, to uh, the approach shots. But he just he just can't put himself in a position to make putts, man. And and that's what really kills him is that he gets within the range to, to make a birdie or better, and he just always pars, man, because just can't read the greens. Uh, I would stay away from Hideki for right now. I think Hideki is grossly overvalued. Um, and then my guy that I'm probably going to play and I think is another person that you should throw into um, your master's pick like really early. Uh, so your advice on Adam Scott was actually uh, correct. I'm actually playing Adam Scott. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I'm playing him to win the Masters early uh, based off of how high he is right now. What was the odds right at? Because I haven't looked yet. Uh, I'll have to take a look to see if they've changed. You can look when you get done with yours. So I got some Third, more no, stuff. I'm, I'm looking right curious. now. It's, it's 30 to 1. 30 to 1. Yeah, so that's unbelievable odds. The guy that's won there. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would play that right now. Um, and then, I, like I, I was about to say, I'm looking at um, – let me get back on my screen here. I was looking at Webb Simpson to along the same lines, a guy who's really hot, really consistent. Um, does he have what it takes to beat a Rory, a Dustin, a Rom, or JT uh, when it gets tight? I don't know, but I'm willing to take my chances with his current form. Um, he's coming in at eighteen to one this week. I'll have to check it out. Um, but I don't see why he wouldn't be in one of my tier picks. Um, if not this week, definitely in this next couple of um events. Uh, but other than that, like I said, I haven't fully capped it yet. But I, I really think that this week is um because of the way the course really caters to the total drive aspect, I really think there's a gonna be a lot of value and some of the mid-tier plays again, which I kind of say that every week. But, I mean, we're getting guys like Patrick Reed at 50-1. to um, Like I said, Soon J.M. is at 55-1. to Scott um, was 33-1 to one last week. Yeah, Morikawa is 35-1. to one. Um, I mean, those are just odds that we don't, we're not used to seeing this time of year. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. Like, these are guys who, who've played in, in – what I would argue are tougher fields, and they've been way lower, but here they are with really high odds. I mean, um, well, it's because of the, um, the, the what we read off to start with DJ Roar and JT when they have those kind of track records at that venue and they're all playing really well right now. That's why those guys are so much lower. But to your point, I'd rather take the higher odds on a guy in the middle of the package, you know, you can do it because there's a much more return on investment. Yeah, and and I get I get where where there's anticipation that Roy and Dustin will turn it around and win, but I mean hell, I haven't seen John Rahm at ten to one in a while. I'd rather put my money on him than uh, like and in yep. his current form, I would definitely put my money on him to outplay DJ I this agree. year on a course that 
that honestly fits him just as well um, because he's got range and he can bomb and, and he's putting better. Uh, and then with Roy, kind of along the same lines, on any other course, maybe not. And I, I don't think anybody's out hitting Roy, but Roy has he still has that thing about him where he's, he just can't close some of these uh, these uh, matches. Not from the front. Like he should, he, yeah, he should win. Um, so I will say there's good history with Roy after he um, kind of gives away a, a match last year. Every time he, he pretty much had a, um, a round like he had where he shot, what, 74, I think, last week. Um, so mm-hmm. every time he... In the, in the round four. So every time he's had a, a bad round four, he's turned around and won the next tournament. He did it at Canada last opinion. year. Yeah. So yep. um, I would definitely give him a look. But, again, at 6-1 to one in golf, that's not really great odds um, based off of the risk that Terrible. you're taking in a, in a no-cut in a no event. In a no-cut event, it could be anybody's game. Somebody could go low and shoot a, a freaking 60 four or something like that, and, and then they're back in it, and you thought they were out, or they would have been out if there was a cut line. So for somebody like Roy, I think the value would be in taking him on head-to-head matches against people throughout the tournament um, and winning that way rather than picking him to outright win. Now, even if, if he does outright win at 6-1, to one, I mean, it's, it's good to have the win, but that's really not great odds. I, I remember it, when um, I won a Brooks Kopeka last year, he was eight to one and I kind of like cringed at betting on something that low. I usually try not to bet under 10 to one uh, on golf because it's just so much risk. So, I mean, I ended up putting a hundred dollars yep. on him because I mean, it was Brooks, <laughs> but I don't recommend mm-hmm. people doing that because you could split your hundred dollars between a, uh, a 10 to one and 30 to one, 50 to one and things like that. And sometimes they win at the same clip as these guys that are six to one, seven to one, and especially again in a no cut event, and you're making way more money. You can take that six to one money and put it in that top twenty that we were talking about with with him, and he's at four to one, and and you get twenty spots that you can actually have. You know, like that, that, that's better value to me than Roy winning it outright at six to one. So some people I, might disagree. I agree. Again, it's a guy that's consistent. And what we're looking at in golf, we're looking to win and add value. We're looking just to, to make money. And uh, it's not always best to take the top golfers if you're really looking to make money. Um, so take a deep dive at this field, man, because, again, there's no cut, and that really changes the dynamic of things. Um, I'm getting into daily fantasy a little bit more again uh, for my golf. I'm $15 last week, so. So fifteen dollars, baby. But um, again, deeper dive in these no cut events, man. So I got a few more that I want to give you, and just to reiterate his point, DJ would have been my pick. I just told you he, and if you're gonna bet DJ, I am totally here for it. He is sixty six point eight and twelve career rounds there. His worst round at this course is a seventy, and that was eleven rounds ago. I mean, it's insane. He fires a 66 basically every other round there, which that's – it's it's crazy. But anyway, so it, I gave you the guys I like to win. Let me give you some other ones. I got a leader after round one pick. I got Louis Oostenhazen. He is 35 to one, first-round leader. He was the leader here in 2018 after uh, round one. In the last two years, he has shot a round of 64 or 66, which that typically is low enough 
to be the first-round leader in either the first or second round of each of the last two years. He has all the firepower in the world. He has the game for this kind of course. Louis is a lot more sporadic than he used to be in the sense that he's either on or off. So I don't really like him for a top 10 or top 20 unless you just want to get really creative or even to win. But 35 to 1 for him to be the first-round leader with his history of usually getting out to very strong starts the weeks that he plays well, I'd throw a little bit on there. One of my favorite plays this week for a top 10 is Sergio Garcia is 4-1 to one for a top 10. And Sergio's three starts at this venue, he finished tied six with four rounds of 70 or better in 2017, tied seventh in 2018 with four rounds of 70 or better in two, excuse me, 2018. The first one was 2019. And in 2017, he finished tied 12th. It was his first time playing the venue, and he shot 72 the first round, and then all three rounds after that were 70 or better. So if you exclude uh, DJ, he's been within six shots of the winner with a score each year at 277, 272, 274. He's still one of the best middle iron players in the game, which that's what you're going to have a lot of if you decide not to bomb it on this course, which that's what Sergio has done these last few years. He'll hit a lot of fairway woods, a lot of irons off of greens, and then trust his seven, eight, you know, nine iron game into the greens. He's still as good as there can be. And when you're getting four to one odds on a guy that's got a top ten and two of the three starts, and each year his performance has gotten slightly better from the year before. Like I said, Todd twelfth, Todd seventh, Todd sixth, all at the same venue. That's really good. Matthew Fitzpatrick is also plus 400 for a top 10. He finished 16th, 30th, and 26th in his three times at this venue. But you got to remember, in the last year, he has made some serious strides. He's had five runner-ups since the tournament that he uh, played at this venue last year. He was the contender at the last WGC event. He finished, I believe, second there. He's the kind of player you could see with a top 10, and I actually don't even hate him for kind of a little longer shot for a potential victory. Somebody that Alan did mention, my top 20 play is Carlos Ortiz. He is plus 450 uh, for a top 20. Answer is the Mexican player who gets all the attention, but it's Ortiz who's actually finally qualified with Answer moving into the top 50 in the world. There's a spot for the top Mexican-ranked player who's not in the top 50. That is Ortiz this year instead of Answer. He grew up playing Parkland-style courses in Mexico, exactly like this course they're going to be uh, playing. Many compare this course to Riviera, but shorter. Uh, Ortiz has finished no worse than 26 in his last four starts at Riviera. He's not exactly a bomber-bomber, so it's only going to be better for him that it's a course that is like Riviera but shorter. Uh, and, you know, he finished second last time he was in Mexico for a golf tournament. He actually has two to, and a win uh, in Mexico on the Corn Ferry Tour, so he obviously doesn't feel added pressure playing in his home country. So if you're giving me four plus 450 for a top 20, I love those odds. And then I got two long shots for you. The first one I'm going to butcher the name, and I apologize, but it's Christian Bezenduit. Uh, the South African, <laughs> he is plus 10,000, uh, one at Valderrama uh, last year. That's another tree-line golf course. It's actually a course that I've also heard, again, if you want to say it's much shorter, it is sort of similar to this venue if you're trying to describe it. He's had good form recently with a runner-up in Dubai. 
and he won last week in his home uh, country of South Africa. Remember the guy who won on their home tour that I liked last week was Adam Scott. Uh, so he is playing in good form. He's got to feel good. And then the other one, he burned me last week. It was one of my worst picks I gave. I'm going with Cameron Smith again for a long shot at plus 94.74. He finished sixth last year uh, here. He had all four rounds under par. This is was his only start at this venue. It has shown that players that play here typically get better with each additional trip. Uh, I spoke about how he's one of the best putters in the world on POA greens. These are, again, POA greens, so that should help him. Ah. Hopefully he just hits the ball better than he did last uh, week because last week he struck it terrible, and he's typically a really good ball striker. So that's my other long shot at plus 94.74. Is there any other stuff on the WGC that uh, you want to mention? No, I think you covered everything. I hate uh, pull green. That's all I got to say. (laughs) The guys do, too. Uh, Really, with the exception of Tiger, uh, most players, and he looked like he hated them last week. Uh, It, it, I mean, it is something that is very difficult to put on. The guys, it's another interesting thing about Poa, just if you see a guy you really like and they have a early, uh, late start, uh, that sometimes is a little bit better for them because for momentum, the greens are a lot easier to put on on Poeta greens early in the morning. They grow throughout the day. So if they go off early that first day, they can get off to a good start and then kind of try to hold on to their position on the second to where if they play in the afternoon, they have a bad putting day. They're forced to press in that early morning round on Friday. I mean, luckily the good news is there's no cut. But, again, it's always good to get off to a fast start in these things. But – uh, they're just, they are, they're a very tricky surface. I mean, Tiger is arguably the greatest Poana putter of all time, and he was minus nine shots to the field on the greens last week at Riviera, which is, again, a course that people put on. Uh, and he was my official pick to win last week. So even when you make, you know, winning picks, you can give some terrible ones. And that's one thing that Alan has really taught me and why I try to give you guys as many picks of value as I can is all it takes is hitting one of these 14 to one, 33 to one, and it can make up for, you know, several other bad picks as long as you are being smart about the way you're investing basically your wagers. But uh, Mm. you got anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? Nah, I had a bad week last week in golf. um, And I know in following some of the um, people who do daily fantasy and things like that, they have bad weeks. And and it's just part of the game. I'm in a little rut right now with college basketball. These kids don't want to cooperate. So I'm kind of cruising at 500. But, again, I had some some good prop bets for uh, NBA All-Star. And then the NBA season is picking back up. And then we've got conference championship stuff going we got march madness coming uh so it's still a good time to to make some money and again this is a no-cut event man so shoot your shot man you're not gonna really be hurt you know and then especially when you talk about daily fantasy and 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 even our top 20 props people who would have generally been been out yeah people who would have generally been out can make runs on the third and fourth days, and that that will be the angle for Ortiz and answer is that when people who typically would have quit um, around like that third or fourth day would stop, those guys are going to play hard because they're in their country, and I'm hoping we can take advantage of that. So I'm going to be after them um, pretty well 
I mean, pretty hard. And so is um, the Sung, Sung JM, uh, another prop that just at four to one in a no cut event. I've got to play it. I've just got to play. It. I got to, I got to see it through. If it, if it fails, I'll probably slander him a little. But I mean, his track record says that this is really disrespectful. Well, uh, I have enjoyed it. I'm going to play the intro one more time on our way out because hopefully this week, here comes the money. But this has been another edition of the Backdoor Cover, the weekly IB Sports gambling podcast uh, with your host, myself, Keith Fleming, my man, Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy, a.k.a. IB Yeezus. And uh, I hope your bets are winners this week. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Money talk.